Well, the Dow just finished its worst month in over four years. Uh, we finished the month of August on a down note. On Monday today, the Dow down just shy of 115 points. Dow settling at 16,528. You know, a lot has happened in the market since I recorded my last podcast. I think it was on Monday evening following the Black Monday type day where the Dow Jones opened down about a thousand points. Now, it didn't close down a thousand points. It recovered about half of that loss uh, by the time they rang the bell. But it was still, I think, one of the biggest point drops ever. I think actually it was the biggest point drop, not the biggest percentage drop, but the biggest single point day drop ever. And I remember when I recorded that video, I had anticipated a reversal Tuesday, a turnaround Tuesday, where I said there was a pretty good chance that the market would gap up, but then sell off by the close. And that's, in fact, exactly what happened on that Tuesday. The Dow was up about 500 points, four or 500 points on the open. And then by the time they raised the closing bell, it was down 200 points, not all the way down to the interday low from Monday, but still a huge reversal nonetheless. But then the Dow recouped or recovered on Wednesday, and it began a three-day rally. That was the biggest three-day rally in history, in history. So we had the biggest drop in history, uh, and then we had the biggest point rise in history. But still, that record-setting three-day rise, which came to an end today with the Dow's 115-point drop, but it wasn't enough to repair the damage done earlier. We still, again, as I said, have the biggest down month in more than four years, and the Dow Jones is still less than 10% or more than 10% below its record high, so it's still in this official correction territory. And I think what is adding to the woes of the stock market are comments by the Federal Reserve where they're really still pretending that they're considering raising interest rates in September. They're not saying they're going to do it for sure, but they're not taking it off the table. They haven't come out and denied that rates will not rise in September. And I think this is going to continue to add pressure on the markets. You know, we're going to get more economic data out later this week. We get the big non-farm payroll number on Friday. And if that report is good, at least the way the Fed measures it, another 200,000 plus jobs, that could be very, very dangerous for the Dow Jones, which technically, you know, the market is already looking very vulnerable. And without the Fed, I really don't see what there is to stop this correction from progressing into a bear market. You know, the, the idea is, well, the stock market rallied, right? And so the Fed feels, OK, hey, the market's rallied. We, you know, we can raise rates. We don't need any more QE. But then the market goes down. See, all of the big money, all the big banks, the hedge funds, they're starting to sell their stocks because they believe the Fed. They believe the Fed's going to raise rates. So why wouldn't you sell your stocks? The only reason you bought stocks was because the Fed had your back. You were trying to cooperate and ride the wave. You were surfing the wave of cheap money. Well, if the Fed is no longer going to make those waves, the surf's not up anymore. So why would you want to stay on your board, right? That's the whole the whole idea there. You know, the economy is, in fact, slowing down, whether the Fed wants to acknowledge it or not. And corporate earnings 
are under pressure. So the only thing the market's got going for it is the Fed. If the Fed is going to go from providing a tailwind to providing a headwind, why would you want to fight that? So, of course, the market's going to keep on falling until the Fed cries uncle, right? Once the Fed says, okay, the market's down enough, although it won't put it in those terms, but once the Fed comes to the rescue, right, it comes running in like the cavalry, cancels the rate hikes, or better yet, launches QE4, well, now they can buy them back, right? If you were selling stocks because the Fed was going to tighten, well, once they admit they're going to ease, now you can start buying them back. That's what happened when they ended QE2. The markets were going down until the Fed came out with QE3. Then they started to go back up again. And the last time prior to this decline that we almost had a 10% correction, but not quite, uh, Bullard came out and started talking about QE4, sent the market up 2,000 points. That's what the market needs again. They don't need Bullard to come out talking about how they might raise rates. They need to come out and talk about why they're not going to raise rates. But they're still ignoring the markets publicly and ignoring a lot of the bad economic data. Like, you know, here's a typical example from today. We got the August Dallas Fed manufacturing survey and the July number was bad, right? It was minus 4.6. That was a weak number in July. The market was looking for another weak number, but not as weak. They were looking for an improvement from minus 0.46 to minus 0.25. Still weak, but not as weak as the minus 4.6. What they actually got was minus 15.8. Minus 15.8. Nobody had anything like this on their estimates of what they actually thought the manufacturing number would be in August from the Dallas Fed. Horrible, horrible number. Again, you got to go back really to the financial crisis, the Great Recession, to find a number this bad. And all the sub-indexes, you know, the employment, the hours work, the new orders, everything was falling sharply. Just a horrible, horrible report, right? You probably couldn't get much worse than, than this report. Yet this is the kind of data that the Fed ignores, that the market ignores, because they just look at the unemployment rate. And obviously, there's probably not going to be a big change in the numbers that we get on Friday. We've been getting these same reports, no matter how weak the economy is, we still get a low unemployment rate. We still manage to create 200,000 jobs, no matter how weak the underlying economy is. Of course, these are low paying jobs, and a lot of these jobs are part-time jobs that result from companies cutting back on their full-time jobs. In fact, I read an article today where Walmart is cutting back on hours now. I guess they raised wages, so now they're cutting back on hours to reduce their labor costs. Well, if they're worried about labor costs, why'd they raise wages in the first place? I guess that was a PR stunt. But now, since they're paying people more, they got to hire fewer people or they got to uh, they got to hire their existing people for fewer hours so they can afford to pay them. Now, I wonder if the net effect is going to be that even though they're being paid more, they're going to earn less because they're going to work fewer hours. But this is what is going on with the labor force. But again, the Fed has ignored that for years. So why should it change? So if we get another 200,000 plus job number on Friday, and of course we get the ADP number on Wednesday, and maybe that you know could be an okay number, as long as the Fed is continuing to bluff that rate hikes are on the table in September or October, right, this market is going to be under a lot of pressure. And that bounce that we got on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday is going to look like a good selling opportunity because it was simply the initial knee-jerk reaction. Because whenever markets move straight down, 
right? They're going to have a snapback. You're going to have some traders taking profits. Some of the people that got short are going to collect their winnings. You're going to have some people trying to pick a bottom. So, you're, you know, you're, it, nothing's just going to go down every day. Especially when you have a huge drop, you're going to have some kind of a snapback. But the snapback didn't recover the entirety of the decline. It just recovered a percentage of it. And now it looks like we're going to go back down and retest the lows. And I think the only thing that will keep those lows holding is going to be the Fed. If the Fed does not come out and support this market, then it has no support and it will take out those Monday intraday lows. And if we close below the lows from that Monday morning, it's going to get really, really ugly really fast. So if the Fed hasn't come clean by then, they're going to have to scramble. Right? Otherwise, they're going to be dealing with an all-out bear market, and then they're going to, it's, they're going to look even weaker. Right? If, they, if they let the market go down that much, that's, that's a dangerous game of chicken they're playing because at least if they said something conciliatory now, maybe they can blame it on something else, and they wouldn't look like they were necessarily just reacting to the market. But also, if the market really goes down on the talk of a rate hike, again, that makes the, the concept easier for people to grasp that, hey, the only reason the markets were up was because of the Fed's supports. And if the Fed just talks about removing the support, the markets are going to tank. See, the, the Fed doesn't want people to connect those dots. They don't want to make it that obvious. So if they end up having to react to a real collapse in the stock market, then a it's more obvious that that's what they're targeting, right? Maybe they're market dependent, not necessarily data dependent, but it also shows how unsustainable their policies really are. Because, see, I've been saying that from the beginning. Remember, that was one of the jokes that I was telling people. People were saying that, hey, you know, for the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates, that's going to be a very difficult trick for them to maneuver this just right, you know, to just really thread this needle and do it the right way and, and you know, not to upset the markets. And I said, look, it's not an, a difficult trick. It's an impossible trick. And I compared it to a magician trying to yank uh, a tablecloth out from under dishes. Right. That's a trick that is difficult, but doable. If you practice and know how to do it, you can yank the tablecloth out from under a bunch of dishes and the dishes are still going to be on the table. You know, you're, you're not going to disrupt them. Now, I'm sure a lot of dishes have been broken by magicians or non-magicians trying to practice that trick. But if you do it right, you can do it. What I said is the trick that the Fed is attempting to pull off or bluffing that they can pull off because they're not even attempting it is they want to yank the table out from under the cloth and pretend that the cloth and the dishes could stay suspended in midair without the table. Now, that's something that can't be done. That's an impossible trick. I mean, maybe you can do it as an illusion, but an illusion isn't real. A trick has to be actually doable. But this is, this is impossible, but people don't get that. They somehow think the Fed can take the table out from under the cloth, and it's just going to stay levitated. That's what they believe. If you take the props out from under the market, the market's going to collapse. There's no other way around it, yet people are convinced that they can. But when it gets closer to the date that they're supposed to raise rates, this is when the market really starts to go down. Because even if you think that there's a chance the Fed can raise rates and the market won't go down, why take that chance? Just get out. It's so much easier. Step to the side. Take a profit. Let the dust settle. You know, discretion is going to be the better part of valor here, right? Why fight the Fed? Yeah, why fight them? 
And so this is what's going to happen. And it's not like a conspiracy where the banks want to force the Fed not to raise rates and launch QE4. But that's exactly what's going to happen, because if they're going to sell stocks until the Fed cries uncle and then says, we're going to give you QE4, that is, in effect, what's going to happen, because the markets ultimately go down until the Fed can't take it anymore and has to come back with more QE, because the Fed is basing the whole recovery on the asset markets. Right. Again, that was the purpose of quantitative easing was to lift the stock market, lift the real estate market. But the problem is the minute you stop doing that, whatever lift goes away. It's only a temporary fix. It's not permanent. The markets can't stay on those artificial heights without the props that levitated them up there in the first place. One of the interesting things, though, about today's market action was the reversal in oil prices. I mean, in fact, today was one of the first days where oil prices rose and the stock market didn't. In fact, over the last three days, we've had better than a $10 increase in the price of oil. Oil was down around 38 bucks on, what, uh, three, four days ago, trading days. And today it closed around 48 in change, almost back to 50 bucks after having gone below 40 for the first time. Now, there's still, oil needs to go up quite a bit more, I think, before we can say a bottom is in. I mean, still, it's still in a pretty big downtrend. What I do think oil markets need for a decisive bottom is an end to the idea that the Fed is going to raise rates because that will knock the support out from under the dollar and it's the strong dollar and the belief that the dollar will continue to strengthen that is really undermining global demand for crude and emboldening the speculators to short crude. Now, probably a lot of those speculators were covering over the last couple of days. I'm sure there is a lot of short covering in here, which might mean there's an opportunity for some new shorts to come in unless there's some kind of a game changer. But this also shows you how difficult it is to time these markets and how quickly markets can move once they reverse. And I expect uh, there to be similar moves in the precious metals market and the foreign currency market, and even bigger moves once the speculators realize how much they've got this thing wrong. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the Jackson Hole Conference. As many of you know, I went out to Jackson Hole uh, on Thursday and Friday, I wasn't there to take part in the official symposium of the actual Fed people. I was there at a protest conference that took place up the street. You know, it was about maybe 10 or 15 minutes away in, in a barn that was kind of like in the middle of nowhere. Right. It was hosted by the Americans Principal Project, and it really was a protest of uh, the Fed. And there were a lot of very good speakers there, in addition to, in addition to me, uh, criticizing the Fed. But here's the interesting part about this. We were one of two protest uh, conferences. The other one was put on by an organization called Fed Up, which is basically the American Labor Union, the, the AFL-CIO, and also the, the group Black Lives Matter, right, which is, you know, I guess was set up in response to some high-profile incidents where blacks were killed by, by whites, whether it was a, the white cop or, you know, a white community watchman. And so all of a sudden it was like, oh, you know, Black Lives Matter was, is this new group. And of course, Black Lives Matter, all lives matter, right? But supposedly, uh, you know, people think that, black, you know, that, that people don't care about black lives. But what does that have to do with the Fed? I mean, what, I mean, what does Black Lives Matter have to do with the Federal Reserve. I mean, monetary policy, uh, you know, is not targeted, you know, at, at particular racial groups. Yet somehow they got roped into this, into this protest. And here's the interesting thing about it. First of all, the 
there were protesters there with with signs, you know, about the Fed, you know, what recovery, um, you know, ta- you know, uh, minority unemployment or 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 black unemployment, you know, don't raise rates. I mean, all these signs and people that were holding these signs and these people got there. They were flown in by the labor unions. The labor unions paid for their airfare. They paid for their hotel. It was basically an all-expense-paid trip to Jackson Hole. But I'm reading this one article where they interview this woman named Dawn O'Neill. And she's a 48-year-old teacher. She's a mother of four, and she works at a daycare center, and she's paid $8.50 an hour. <laughs> like, she really has the time or the money to fly all the way from Atlanta to Jackson Hole, right? Obviously, you know, maybe they're even paying her. I don't know. But the, 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 the article describes her as an activist. I mean, she's not an activist. I mean, I don't even think she had any idea who the Federal Reserve was until they stuck that sign in her hand. But I'm reading, you know, one of the things that she said, and she says, quote, I don't think those at the Fed know how life is here in DeKalb County, where they say the economy is recovering. Right. She said uh, she's complaining that she doesn't have enough money to cover uh, rent and food and utilities and her medicine that she needs for her high blood pressure. Yet everything the Federal Reserve is doing is helping to make those prices go up. Right. This whole protest, they're saying that they need more uh, inflation. In fact, part of the official protest is a call for the Fed to target a 4% CPI instead of a 2% CPI, meaning we need a lot more QE, we need a lot more stimulus, because the goal should get the official rate of inflation up to 4%. Now, how is that going to help this woman who's struggling to pay her rent and her utilities uh, and for food? How is doubling the official target rate of inflation going to help this woman? Obviously, it's not. Not going to help her at all. I Think about this for a minute. Prices are already rising with the official inflation numbers at about 1.5%. Could you imagine how much prices would actually have to rise before the official CPI registered 4%? I mean, it would be I'd be horrible. I mean, there'd be riots in the streets if we actually got official inflation up to 4%. Because who knows how much the unofficial actual inflation, as it manifests itself in the cost of living, who knows how much that would actually have to go up to register But here is the most interesting part of this thing. So I talked to Steve Lonigan, who is the guy that um, organized this event. And when he originally organized the event, he wanted to have the event in the same location, the same venue as the official event with the Federal Reserve. Obviously, he wanted to get as much publicity as possible. There's a lot of reporters. There's camera crews down there. And so we wanted to have our group uh, benefit from that publicity. So when he tried to book our event where the Fed was, he was told that nobody other than the Fed could be there, that for security reasons, it was just for the Fed and any other groups or organizations were blocked out. They couldn't be there. And so that's why they had to go for another location. Now, this other group fed up. They were doing their protest in the same building as the Federal Reserve. Now, why? I mean, if there was a rule that said that nobody other than the official Fed could be there, how did FedUp manage to get there? I think that FedUp 
was there because the Fed wanted them to be there. I think this whole thing was staged. I think this is exactly the kind of protest that the Federal Reserve wants. Because basically, this organization was there to say, we applaud the Fed. We think you're doing the right thing. Your monetary policy is creating economic growth, right? It is creating jobs, just not enough, just not in the black communities. So you just need more of this policy so that it can spill over into these other communities that have been left out. Right. They're just wanting the Fed to do more of what they're doing. So it's really not a protest of the Fed. It's a validation of what the Fed is doing. It's people who want the Fed to do more. They're saying, hey, we like what you're doing. Just do more of it. It's helping, but it hasn't helped enough. So you got to print even more money. You got to keep interest rates at zero even longer so that the benefits of your great monetary policy can affect more people, particularly black people or Latino people. Uh, or other people that have been left behind, right? That's what this protest was about. The protest I was at was saying, hey, Fed, you're doing the wrong thing. Everything you've done has backfired. Your monetary policy is hurting the economy, so stop doing it, right? Raise interest rates, no more QE. That's the kind of protest the Fed doesn't want anybody to know about. But protesters who are basically validating what the Fed is doing and just saying they need to do more of it, that's exactly what the Fed wants. This, A, if they end up not raising interest rates, this is another reason not to do it, right? Because now they have people begging them not to raise interest rates because they know how important low interest rates are to the economy and to creating jobs. Or they can actually, you know, look like, oh, you know, we're really about to raise rates. Look, people are protesting that we're about to raise. They're, they're like carrying the bluff even further by wanting to have people protesting rate hikes that they actually have no intention of making. But by having protesters out there protesting the fact that they're about to raise rates makes the, you know, makes the whole illusion that much stronger to believe. For And that's what the Fed is trying to do. It's trying to create the impression that it's actually about to raise rates. And having people protest uh, the supposed rate hikes just validates that they're coming. And then, you know, of course, when they don't do it, it's, it's not like, well, they, it's not like they were planning on not to do it. They can come up with an excuse, a reason not to do it because they were intended to do it all along. My thesis is that they have no intention of doing it. They're just trying to put on a show. And these protesters with their signs, they're part of that show. They're just props. You know, they're, they're on this stage of make-believe where the Fed pretends we have a real recovery and that they're actually able to, to raise rates. And, you know, Steve Moore of the Wall Street Journal was one of the speakers at the event that I was at. And he went down to this actual event because he was interviewed by Fox News who had a correspondent down there. And so he said that he talked to these protesters and he said that they seemed completely clueless about, you know, they had these signs and all he said they can do is regurgitate a couple of talking points. But when he actually tried to engage them as to, you know, what, you know, why are you here and what do you really want the Fed to do? They couldn't even answer the questions. I bet most of these guys that were there didn't even know what the Fed was. They just got on a bus and got on a plane and someone said, here, hold up this sign. Gave him a couple of talking points as if these are real activists that really care about Fed policy. They don't. They don't even understand what the Fed does, most of them. I mean, they're eight, a woman making eight fifty an hour in a daycare center, how much could she know about monetary policy? Chances are she doesn't know anything about monetary policy. She probably doesn't even know who Janet Yellen is. She's just, she's just there because she got a free trip. 
right? And she's part of this part of this protest, part of this fed up. But here's part of the irony, and it kind of, you know, reminds me a little bit of the Occupy Wall Street movement. I wish I really would have known these protesters were there, because maybe I could have gone there with a camera and engaged these people a little bit. But they're protesting the Fed. And here is the irony that is probably lost on everybody. Maybe not them, because they, again, these guys probably don't even understand the Fed. But they understand that the economy is bad, right, where they live, right? That they get. And they know that you know, Washington is talking about this great recovery, but they don't feel it in our communities. And I get that. And I, 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 that's true because there is no real recovery. The irony is they want the Fed to help, right? They think, hey, you're just not doing enough, right? You need to help create jobs. You need to help raise wages. And they want the Fed to do that by not raising interest rates, by creating more inflation. The reality is the very reason that there is no recovery in their communities is because there is no recovery. It's the Federal Reserve that is preventing the recovery from happening. The very monetary policy that they want more of is the reason that there's no recovery in our communities. What's preventing real jobs from being created, what's preventing real wages from rising is the Fed, is the very po monetary policy that these guys want to continue. They just don't know it yet. They don't understand that the problems they're complaining about are because of the Fed, but for the wrong reason. It's not because the Fed is going to raise rates but because they lowered them to zero in the first place. More quantitative easing isn't the solution. Quantitative easing is the problem. But of course, if the Fed does go cold turkey on the quantitative easing and the 0% interest rates, we will have economic withdrawal on Wall Street. We will have a big collapse of these bubbles that they've inflated, and that is what they don't want. So in reality, if the Fed decides not to raise interest rates because Black Lives Matter, that's the reason they don't raise rates, because they care about the poor, right? They care about uh, the unemployed. Who is going to benefit? The poor and the unemployed? No, they're going to stay poor and they're going to stay unemployed. Who's going to benefit? The rich, <laughs> the 1%, Wall Street. That's who's going to benefit. Now, do the labor unions benefit? Obviously, the labor unions are behind this, too, and they probably benefit in, in some way from this. But what benefits the labor unions themselves certainly doesn't benefit workers, certainly not part-time workers at daycare centers earning $8.50 an hour, like this woman, Dawn O'Neill, who was one of the protesters who was quoted in, in this article. Anyway, on a final note, I just want to mention again that my offshore bank, Euro Pacific Bank, is still hiring. Only now we need to hire some customer service account support people. We need several of those right now, and we need people who are fluent in multiple languages. I mean, number one, English. You got to speak English. Otherwise, we can't even talk to you. But English and then some other language and hopefully two other languages. The more languages you speak, the better. And, and these are salary jobs. Now, they're not big salaries. I think they started about $2,000 a month during the first three months of training, in which case you can earn maybe $3,500 a month. Uh, plus, there'll be quarterly bonuses depending on how you're doing and how the bank is doing. So these are good jobs for people, entry-level type jobs, and you can, you can live anywhere in the world. That's the beauty of these jobs. You don't have to actually show up at my bank. You can work from home, provided your home is not in the United States. You can be an American citizen, just don't reside in the United States while you're working for my bank. Also, we do need some experienced salespeople, financial sales. We still have, we just got to over, I think, 200 million now in bank deposits. And rising. I do hope to get to over a billion deposits maybe by the end of next year. So the bank is growing, but we also have investment products 
uh, proprietary mutual funds, managed accounts. We also offer brokerage services. We need financial professionals to help our bank customers with their investments. So we'd like to have people who have experience selling financial products. You don't have to have any particular license uh, to work for the bank, but having experience, having worked in financial sales, if you were a stockbroker in the past, or if you are a stockbroker now and you're looking for a better opportunity, or if you sold life insurance or annuities, or you're, you understand financial services. Also, it helps to be a believer in, in my philosophy, but a lot of our bank customers don't necessarily even think about Austrian economics or or they, they just want to they just they're just typical customers who just are attracted to my bank just because they like the services that it provides that they can't get from other financial institutions. But we have a lot of customers and we want to bring them financial advice, financial services. These are commission only jobs. Right. So don't apply for this job if you want a salary. Right. You can earn a lot more working on commission than you can working on a salary. But, you know, you might earn nothing, right? If you don't do any work, you don't earn anything. On a salary, you know, you can earn a paycheck until your boss figures out you're not working, and then in which case he fires you. But for a while, you might be able to, a lot of people work for salary, and, you know, they don't really do anything, and their bosses don't even realize it. But when you're on commission, if you don't do anything, then, you know, you suffer because you don't make anything. So it's a commission-only type job, but the, the potential is enormous. And what's good about working for Euro Pacific Bank is we have a lot of customers, so there's no cold calling, right? We I just want people to sell investment products to our bank customers. That's it. Not you know not even leads of people who are thinking about opening up bank accounts, although we have plenty of those. But we also have a lot of people who already have money on deposit, earning no interest. Remember, Euro Pacific Bank is a 100% reserve bank. We don't make any loans, so therefore we can't pay our depositors interest. Since we don't loan out our depositors money, the money is sitting in their accounts. And if it's just sitting there, they might as well invest it in something. And so that's where uh, the job comes in, to call up our customers and talk to them about the various investment products that we recommend. And to the extent that they invest with us, then you'd be able to earn a commission. So if you're interested in either of those two job opportunities, go to europacbank.com and under where it says company, scroll down to the last one says careers. Just click on that and fill out your information and submit it online. Again, that's europacbank.com. Go to company and go to careers. Of course, if you're not interested in a career at Euro Pacific Bank, we are, you know, you should also consider opening up an account there. Uh, by the way, you know, one of the things that we are going to be doing at Euro Pacific Bank is we're going to be upgrading our gold and silver backed debit cards. You know, right now we have a prepaid uh, debit card where in order for you to spend your gold, you have to first sell some gold and load up your, your debit card with the, with the proceeds before you can go and, and use your debit card. And in the near future, that middle step is going to be eliminated. And Euro Pacific Bank is going to have the only true uh, gold-backed debit card where our customers will be able to spend their gold if they want to without having to load a prepaid debit card, that the debit card will link directly to their gold holdings. And so whenever they swipe their debit card, gold will automatically be sold from their account uh, in a sufficient quantity to cover that purchase in real time. So that's EuropacBank.com. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is. 
Truth and Media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with truthandmedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, truthandmedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make truthandmedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into The Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit truthandmedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth and Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They are all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com.